I got a phone call from my mother. She was distressed. She was distraught. My ex-wife had sent her pictures of me naked in various actions to my mother, my 70, 75-year-old mother. She's made all the allegations, and I'm the one who feels like I have to protect myself. Welcome to Why Daddy Never Cries podcast with your host, Chuck Kelleher. At Why Daddy Never Cries, we'll explore the lives surrounding daddies, their children, divorce, and silent domestic violence. We'll hear real-life horror stories from unsung heroes fighting for the ability to stay in their children's lives. We'll get those voices heard and hopefully find solutions before you lunatics burn the whole place to the ground. Hang in there, daddies. Chuck's here. Chuck Kelleher and Why Daddy Never Cries are providing his podcast as a public service. I've known Chuck for 45 years, and he's neither a lawyer nor a mental health professional. He's not a doctor nor a rogue scholar by any stretch of the imagination. Chuck is simply a guy who's lived in hell for 20 years. Once he found a way out, he drew a map to help others navigate their own way home. The views and opinions expressed by Why Daddy Never Cries, employees, or our guests are their own. Guest appearance on the program do not imply an endorsement of them their opinions, or any entity they represent. And please, for the love of God, if you have any questions or fears about your unique circumstances, please contact a lawyer, a religious leader of your choice, or a medical professional in your area. Don't fuck this up, brothers, because we're all in this together. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Voss G2, for helping small and medium-sized businesses elevate their brand perception with design. Take your brand to the next level at VossG2.com. We'd also like to thank Harry Duran, and his team at Fullcast for their amazing assistance. If you're planning a podcast and you haven't contacted Fullcast, you might as well call your show Podfade. Hey, everybody. We'd like to start today's show off with a happy birthday to a special little girl. Millsbaum, your daddy loves you, kiddo. Never forget that. Your dad's thanking you today. Even though he can't be with you, he just wants you to know, have a happy birthday and many, many more. All right, here's a soul searcher for you. Would you risk wishing your child a happy birthday? knowing you could get five years in jail for it. That didn't stop our brother Jago, and that's not all this man put up with to be with his children. In a world where headlines scream for attention, we choose to listen to the whispers that hold the true revelations. All right, let's get into it. Hey, Jago, welcome to the Why Daddy Never Cries podcast. How's it going, brother? Yeah, good. Hi, Chuck. Nice to meet you. You too, sir. Tell us a little something about yourself. Where you call home these days? So I live in the northeast of England, near a place called Middlesbrough. I've lived here basically all my life. I work around the country, but I always come back to the northeast. Home does always tend to bring us back. Yeah. How'd you meet the ex-missus? Ooh, I've got two ex-missuses. The first ex-missus <laughs> is a really nice lady. We brought up our eldest daughter together. We co-parented, got along. We still get along. We went to birthdays together, and, and we've ended up with a very well-adjusted, very lovely daughter together. I don't have a bad word to say about her, and I'd, I'd hope she wouldn't have a bad word to say about me. <laughs> So that, that was my first wife. We were very young. I was 21 when I got married. We got married because she was pregnant and it didn't. We had my eldest son, who's 23 now. Everything seemed okay. Everything was great. There was no sort of, no signs of what was to come. And then we had my second son. Work was getting good. We moved into a bigger house. We had nice cars, nice holidays. Then we met my second daughter. Everything was still okay. And then we had my youngest son. Uh, he's 11 now. And it was just around about that time that things started to go a little bit, as we might say, tits up. <laughs> My ex-wife, she had health problems and she ended up getting addicted to all the morph, which is a morphine-based oh, drug. 
um, tramadol and also cocaine and alcohol, which wasn't a very good mixture. No. And that's when probably when it all started to go, all started to go wrong. Attacks on myself, nastiness to the kids, just life got hectic. You couldn't plan anything anymore. Looking back, she was probably in need of some sort of help at the time. Nobody really recognised it. You're too busy getting on with your life at that point. I think it just wasn't noticed. Everything's so busy when you've got four kids. And I'm trying to work and you're working towards things and things. And you're still considering yourselves as a family unit because it hasn't got that bad yet. Right. You certainly notice looking back. If you could step outside the situation, when you when you look back with it, when time passes, you, you notice then. But at the time when you're in it, you just think things are a little bit bad and it, it's got to get better, I suppose. Did you think maybe it was postpartum? Is it that soon after? Well, there was always that after each of the children. And then there was always antidepressants for a couple of years. And then there was the, the cycle of going through all that heartache of coming off the antidepressants. Right. And, and so, I mean, it was never it was never an easy ride. You just think that's part of life. Like, this is my family unit. That's my wife. That's what we're going through. We've got to get through this, if you know what I mean. 100%. And you get through it together, in theory. In theory, yeah. That continued. And then it was about uh, six and a half years ago. We probably fell out of love with each other. I certainly fell out of love because of the, the actions and the way things were. But there was no way that I would have left the relationship. I felt ultimate responsibility towards my children unit and towards my ex-wife as well. As I say, it's something you think you're going to get through. And then I discovered that she was having an affair. I discovered one affair first and then there was another one. Because I worked away, I would go away to meetings, stay overnight and then come home. Maybe be away two nights at once, Right. come home. And I was oblivious. And it was actually my second son who he broke it to me and told me all about it after we'd split up. That I could see be devastating for you. Well, obviously for us as the husbands, but for the kids as well. Again, the kid didn't really realize what it was. He was 12 at the time. So he mm. didn't really realize what it was until he found out that that's what mum was doing. If, if that makes sense, there were just some guys who came on the house, which I mean, sounds really bad to say, but uh, the dots weren't joined up by anybody because it's, it's not something that you expect, especially if you're a 12-year-old kid. If you're not looking for it, <laughs> yeah, and you don't even know what to look for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, leading up until this, as I said, it's I had no idea. The affairs were discovered, and I asked her to leave the marital home. I kept the kids here, so she went to live with the mother for a bit. She was begging for forgiveness, blaming the drugs, blaming blaming everything. There's just no, no self-blame at mm-hmm. all. And again, for the kids, I decided to try and make a go of it again, give another chance, just until the kids got a bit older, go back to the position we were at of trying to work to work through this thing. Before that, I, I said we'd have a go at the reconciliation. She attempted suicide three times. Oosh. So she was under the care of what they call in England a crisis team. Mm-hmm. And now the crisis team consists of a couple of mental health nurses and what those was each day they'll come around and they'll speak to my ex-wife and just have, ask how she was doing, how she was getting through the days, things like that. On these meetings, she would say, no, you're my rock. I want you to sit in these meetings with me. And I was like, well, no, it's between you and them. It's whatever you say to them is between you. It's, it's your head. If they're going to help you, they might want to say things about me or whatever. And I'm not just trying to make myself sound like a saint. That's exactly what I said. And she was like, no, I want you in there. I want you, you're my rock. You're my rock. But I also said, if you've done that to me, I'm not going to sort of spur the advances of any any women at all. Not that I thought it was going to happen because I wasn't that way inclined. But then I start, I actually met somebody and I started messaging them. She didn't like this. And one evening we were on our way back from bar and we were on the motorway and travelling at speed. And this young lady messaged me. My ex-wife seen it, and then she tried to kill us. She tried to pull us into the path of a of a truck. Um, yeah, I, I slammed the brakes on. She fell forward. She smashed her face off the dashboard. There was blood all over the dashboard. We had a, like a little bit of a fight. She was trying to pull the steering wheel. I'm trying to pull her off. 
we got home, all calmed down. She ran out of the house and that, that was the start of the house of cards falling down, really. Is that when the accusation started? That's that's when the accusation started, yeah. The first thing I've done, I, I phoned this crisis team and I said, listen, you know the truth of the situation. My ex-wife's saying I beat her up. Um, she's shown everybody these photographs of her, her nose and black eyes and things. And they were like, look, we feel really sorry for you, but you're not the first person who's called and asked for something like this, but we can't divulge anything whatsoever. It's <laughs> your private medical information. Right. So then you start thinking, well, hold on a minute, this shit. Calm down, I've done nothing wrong. And that was the first of the allegations. The next thing is you get served with a non-molestation order. And not only is the allegation of hitting her in a car, it's controlling coercive behaviour. I just remember thinking, I got got served this piece of paper by this guy and I opened it and I'd never seen one before in my life. It was totally new to me. And it's the woman who I've spent all my life with and had these kids with and looked after and done everything for. And it's basically a list of lies. And I just remember thinking, what the hell is going on here? This can't be serious. No no one's going to take this seriously. It's, I mean, it's just all lies. The list of accusations just went on and on and on. It was like keeping her from her friends and family and not letting her have a car, controlling her financially. I mean, she'd never worked a day in her life. If there's any financial control, it's it's her controlling me because I've got to go out to work and earn the money to raise the family. And just all these things go through your head. And there's a bit of fear. And you think, oh, shit, well, did I do anything like that? Was Have I been controlling? And, and you think, it's, it's just the whole range of emotions. It was just unbelievable. I thought it was bad at the time, but I didn't realise that how bad it could actually get after that. The second guessing is tough. You really start looking at yourself. You say, did I do this? Am I this monster that I'm being accused of? And as you yeah, chip that, away at it, you realise, no, no, I wasn't. Yeah. And then all, all the direct allegations, or I mean, was one, one of the allegations was rape. So things like that, you don't think, did I do this? Because you, you know, that's just absolutely ridiculous. But it's the thing like the controlling coercive behaviour. I mean, I'd never heard that phrase before anyway. So I'm thinking, am I, am I controlling coercive? I mean, what? Okay, so I've, I've just bought her a new car, maybe because I took it off her the other day because it was a bigger car and I had to go and do the shopping. Maybe that's controlling coercive. And you start thinking all these things. And then you start thinking, well, she's got to have evidence for these. And you think, she can't have evidence for any of the other things. So you start thinking, what, what's the evidence for that? Your head's all over the place. Mm-hmm. The worst person you want to do is you want to say, look what she said. Look, look at these lies. I mean, it's, it's such a strange feeling because who'd you tell? And then you realise that obviously she's already told everybody you know. <laughs> so everybody you know has already had a warped, twisted side of the story. Yep. So the only people you can possibly tell are your kids who you're trying to keep out of it. And immediately you're isolated because their story's out there. They're the ones making allegations. She's got a piece of paper with non-molestation order. She can show to people and say, look, a court's decided he's that bad. The mm-hmm. court said he's not allowed anywhere near me. That's how bad he is. It's just the weight, all the weight goes onto their side initially without any sort of evidence or, or anything. It's just, it's just awful. And it's funny. That's not funny. We all get the knee-jerk reaction of protecting the women and the children, and we all support that. If somebody comes to an authority and says, hey, someone's trying to hurt me, we want immediate response from that authority. We want that person, that child protected. But the time delays, especially what you guys go through over in the UK, I mean, you'll go seven months before the first court date, and that's the next time you see Uh, your kids. Well, one of the allegations on mine, one that really got to me, was I'd abused my two younger children. Mm. So what that meant is the court would specifically said that they were not allowed to be anywhere near me without the presence of two social workers. Well, I didn't see them for about four months. And then after that, for the next six months, I only seen them with two strangers sat in my home. 
if they went to the toilet, the, the social workers would go and stand outside the toilet doors. So there was no opportunity for me to have any sort of one-on-one time with them all. With your son, you want to say, how are you doing, mate? Is anything up? How's life? Do you, was any girls? Have you kissed any girls at school? And it's just right. the silly little things that you want to do as a dad that you can't do. Child's life, a year is a massive chunk of time. A massive chunk of time. And I, I mean, that, that was one of the worst things as well. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that's where it all starts with that. It's, it starts with these false allegations. And then I remember one day I went to the uh, combined sort court centre and I, I went in there. She'd issued a prohibitive steps order against me from going anywhere near the children. There was not one shred of evidence for any of the allegations whatsoever. And I came out from that hearing and I, I thought it went well. And I was in good spirits. And as soon as I got out there, there were six police officers waiting for me. And they arrested me for basically every body of the charges that she put on the non-molestation order. They'd launched a criminal investigation. Well, I say investigation. They'd arrested me for. Right. There was no investigation. And I was taken straight to state the cells, questioned, and then sent to Durham Prison on remand. Really? How long were you there? Yeah. Initially, I was there three days. There was a bit of an outcry because there was no evidence. And the reason I was put on remand was because I was such a, such a violent person. I've, I've got no criminal record. Speeding is about as bad as it gets with me. Right. which is a driving offence. So I, I got out there quite quickly, and that was the first time. So I come home and I find out that uh, two social workers have been assigned to the case. My eldest daughter, she's disgusted because the social worker sat and he said to my 13-year-old son, your dad's going to be in prison for a very long time for what he's done to your mum. Huh. And this is a social worker who knows nothing about the case, not a thing. He doesn't know me. He, he'd never met me at this point. All he'd done is spoken to my ex-partner and listened to some allegations. I mean, I will be fair to social services. He, he was an agency worker and they sacked him and said he should never work with children again. Okay. But, it, uh, which I suppose is some comfort a couple of years later. But what that did to my, my 13-year-old son, I mean, he hates his mother now. He hates her. That hatred towards her manifested itself in messages to her. And obviously all that was my fault. Everything he said to her to try and get his anger across was me manipulating him. That went against me as well. And I remember sitting and telling my kids, Dad, we're really worried. There's all these allegations. We know you haven't done anything. And I remember saying to them, listen, if you walk down a beach, when you look behind you, there's, there's footprints. And the footprints show the route you've took. I said, life's the same. If you haven't done something, there's no evidence there. There's no footprints. And I said to them, there's no footprints for any of this. So we're going to be all right in the end. Everything's going to be fine. That's a great way to explain I, it to a kid. It is. It is. And you sort of sat there and you think, shit, I hope I'm right. <laughs> Not right about the footprints because there's no yeah, footprints. But thinking, fair enough. Because well, it, it goes through your mind about the people who've spent 20 years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. And it was at that point when I said that to them. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to disprove every single one of these allegations. And I did. The police didn't investigate it at all. To, I mean, one of the accusations was that my ex-partner worked in the jewellers and she had to leave her position at the jewellers because she was constantly going into work with black eyes and things. I went to the jewellers and I spoke to the manager and the owner of the store and they gave me a statement saying that she not once had anybody seen any marks on her face at all. The reason she got the sack is she was lazy and she wouldn't stand near the front door in the winter welcoming customers in. It was so easy for me to disprove every single allegation and the police could have done that. The police focus seems to be convict, 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 lock them up, get them on remand. If you're on remand, there's nothing you can do. If you're locked up on remand in prison, you can't speak to the people and disprove every allegation because you're inside. And when I was in there, I spoke to so many guys in this position. Is everybody you speak to in there innocent? Probably not. A lot of the things that were telling me were very similar to what I was going through. It's almost like a cookie cutter of allegations. They seem to be churning them out. Yeah. 
I remember at the time, I wish I'd listened to the advice. It was an older guy who I worked with and he was a lawyer. And he said, it's okay. He said, why are you fighting this non-molestation order? And I said, well, because it's wrong. He said, so it's on principle. He said, yeah. He said, principles are okay for billionaires. Mm-hmm. He said, be very careful. He said, if you don't want to go anywhere near, if you don't want to go to a home, he said, why fight it? And I wish I'd listened to that because my principles cost me about £40,000 yeah. to fight the non-molestation order because it went on for so long. And I'm paying for a barrister who's, you turn up a court building and the barrister I'm paying for who's defending me, he's supposed to be on team me. He's going off for secret little meetings with her barrister and then coming out and trying to do deals with me and things. And and just that whole process, I just, I didn't get it. I just, it's I just, nauseating. I, I felt like I was in a system that was going to end up where it was going to end up regardless of me, regardless of what I said. And that's ultimately the way it kind of ended up. But that was a family court system. And that, that, I mean, that was bad enough. And when you're in that, it is bad enough. I'll just go back to the, the old lawyer who advised me that billionaires can have principles, but people like me, it's principles are very expensive when you start dealing with courts. I wish I had fought it more because the non-molestation order was used against me very effectively. I have 20 star reports. A star report is if somebody calls the police and makes a, an allegation over the phone called 999 in England, then every single part of that conversation is recorded. Okay. And I've got 20 of those reports where my ex-wife made a false allegation of me breaking the non-molestation order. Each time that happens, you get arrested. And what happens is you put in a police cell for between 20 and 23 hours and then released because obviously you haven't done anything wrong, so there's no they can't take, take any further action. Right. And I mean, that, to say the least, is very annoying. <laughs> I have a dog and I walk my dog at the same time every day and go to the pub and have a pint in one of the pubs and I walk to the other pub and have a pint there. And she knows this. I've done it for years. Yeah. So one day I'm sat there having my pint. She walks into the pub with my two young children and then calls the police and has me arrested in front of my two young children. What was the reason? The reason she says I was intimidating her and I wasn't allowed to be anywhere near her. It didn't say that in the non-molestation order, but the police, the police who come out to get you, they're not lawyers. They don't know the fine nuances of a non-molestation order and what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And if there's a woman saying... My violent ex-husband's here, he's breaking the non-molestation order. I feel threatened. They'll come and arrest you and then talk to you about it later. That's the problem. She knew this, and she knew she could use it as a very effective tool. Bear in mind, she moved into a house half a mile away from me. If I would drive past her on the she lived, she would take a picture of me, and then I'd be arrested. Same again, 20, 23 hours. To say the least, all that was very, very annoying. I don't know if you're familiar with the app Snapchat. Oh, yeah. Which can be a very anonymous app to use. Mm-hmm. I started talking to somebody whose name was Joe Dirty. At the time, I'm a single man. There's some woman in a name on Snapchat is Dirty, and she starts <laughs> talking to me dirty. I had a conversation with her. You're a gentleman. I, you have to say hello. Yeah, yeah. I was just trying to be nice. It was my ex-wife. Oh, no. She trapped me into it. I say this because it was proved. And again, I thought, well, come on. There's no contact there. She's contacted me. There's been a little bit of a conversation. She's screenshotted it and then gone and deleted the account. This can't go wrong. I ended up the next day, I'm sat in front of three older magistrates who don't even know what an iPhone is, I don't think, let right. alone Snapchat. They mm-hmm. have no no idea whatsoever what this app is. And the actual words were, in light of these serious allegations and accusations against you, we feel like we need to protect this woman. So I was back in Durham Prison on remand for nine days I did this Jesus. time. So because my ex-wife had set me up on Snapchat, I'm sat next to a methadone addict shitting his supply of drugs into his hand after his visits, thinking, what the hell? And I'm being told I'm going to be in there for five years for that. 
I mean, that's how bad it got. I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, this is insane. Oh, I'm being told by everybody, even my own lawyers, that I'm going to be looking at five years inside for the communication. That was a dark time, particularly since the only phone call I got as well was from my solicitor. He said, listen, I hope you sat down. Your ex-wife, she's in your house. She's took everything out of the house. Luckily, she didn't. She didn't take the things I wanted, like family photographs. She took things she could sell. Right. At the time, my mother was in my home. She took my mother's phone. She took her son's laptops and Beats headphones and things. Anyway, my lawyer came up with something. I don't know how he'd done it, but he got me out after nine days. And he said that I'd make an undertaking that I would be tagged for six months. So I had a tag around my ankle for six months, a curfew. Were you allowed to leave the house? Yeah, I'm allowed to leave the house, but I had to be in by eight o'clock. And I couldn't go within a certain distance away from my home. For my job, well, I'd, I'd lost my job at this point as well. Uh, I, had a, I had a good job, and I, I lost my job through it. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, I mean, when somebody makes allegations like that, one of the worst things is people talk. And, I mean, it's a salacious story anyway. He's beaten his wife up. He's raped her. He's, he's done all these nasty things to her. Obviously, people are sat in a bar, and they're having a few beers, and the story grows into something else. I mean, I was made out like some sort of monster. Mm-hmm. The place where I live, it's, it's an estate. And everybody knows everybody. You walk into a bar and you just, everyone stops and look and you can, you can feel the eyes on you. And some people actually openly calling your names and things. It was, it was awful. So I got the tag over that as well. Six six months on a tag and nine months on remand over adding them on Snapchat under a false name. Or Snapchat. How could they justify? Well, they don't, they don't seem to care about justification. It's they just a... don't care. Justification is very close to the word justice and there is none of that. And that's the thing that burns in your head when you go through this. You think you believe in justice. That's one thing as a kid, believe in justice. I mean, people even believe in karma, which is sort of an existential kind of justice. Everybody has this concept and this belief in justice. But when you're going through that and you realise there is no justice, there's no right, there's no yin to the yang, there's no right to this wrong, this wrong can just keep going. That's the worst feeling. I agree. I can understand why the cops would come out, guns a-blazing, getting a report, some psychopath is beating up a woman. I get that. But when, yes, I, I, when I, I see the charges I that they're coming- to, and I would I agree. want them to. And I hope my tax money pays for them to do that. Bravo to that. Yeah. And we all totally agree with that. But mm-hmm. the charges of Snapchat, I mean, John liked a text while trying to get his own yeah. defense together, accidentally hit the like button. Yeah, I heard that, yeah. Do these guys have nothing better to do? Yeah, I know. I know. Six police officers every time turn up in two vans for me. Well, you're huge. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I sometimes talk to a few guys on the falsely accused net, and I know how bad it is for them when they're going through it. Just that feeling of despair. Mm-hmm. Just that feeling of, but I didn't do that. It's this injustice. It's like I say, it can burn in your head. And you feel like there should be justice, but there isn't. And where are you going to get it from? Just stacks one on top of the other. I can remember driving up Fifth Avenue, just punching my steering wheel, calling one of my brothers. How the hell did this just happen? I had so much evidence, so much proof. I just proved everything. Mm-hmm. Yet here we are again. I'm not seeing my kids this week. I literally just proved yeah. everything yeah. that they want more. Yeah. I was lucky as well because my kids, my three eldest kids, so my eldest daughter was 29 now. And my two sons were 23 and 19 now. They were very, very strong for me. They, they believed in me 100%. To go back to one of the accusations, the reason that they believed in me so much, they, they were present, they lived with us. They lived in the family unit, so they seen the truth of the relationship. They seen the truth of the arguments. The nickname for the mother was White Wine Kel because she drank a lot of white wine. I've got statements here. I've got stars reports. 
She was drunk one night. She stood in this kitchen. She punched herself in the face, ran to the phone and phoned the police and said I'd attacked her. And my two sons and her two sons were in the background saying, Mom, what the hell are you doing? You punched yourself. You're an idiot. Put the phone down. And I've got all that. And the police still acted on that. The police have seen that. It's in their report. They had to disclose that to the courts. They've seen that. And they still acted on it. They saw the truth of it. And they were very strong for me. And I realised I had to be very strong for them as well. Yeah. And also for my two younger kids. I'd fight for them. If you lose it yourself, you're in no position to fight for your kids. And what I was very careful to do as well is not say anything about the mother, not anything bad about the mother, not tell them about the situation. For the two young ones, it was almost as if the situation didn't exist. It couldn't exist. They knew something was going on, obviously, but they didn't know what. They were too young to really sort of focus on that, which is, I suppose, is a good thing. I have to agree with you 100% on the not saying anything bad about your ex. I had slipped twice and made two comments that five, six, seven years later came back as in, you always said that about mom. You always said that about mom. And I can literally recall the two times I slipped. And in their world, I said the, it a the, lot. Yeah, the, the way I look at it, I don't need to. She'll be herself and yeah. they'll see. And that's enough. As it is, my 11-year-old son has very recently came home to live with me. He lives with me now. She turned up drunk, asking for reconciliations. And when I said no, then all the threats and everything started again. Threatening to get non-molestation orders, threatening to threaten me with allegations again, threatening me with a boyfriend who was going to come and beat me up, and all, all these threats. And he, he was there, he's seen all this. All you have to do, you just have to give them enough time, kids, then they'll they'll see the truth of the situation. How does she not understand that this is going to backfire? Having your kids she care. She's hell-bent. She doesn't. she doesn't care. One of the reasons I got my non-molestation order is she contacted my ex-girlfriend. We'd split up. And she contacted her, asking her to help her get me. My girlfriend sent me the messages, and I put that in the non-monetization order. And she put in it, I'll destroy him if it's the last thing I ever do. One instance, my son, I think it was his seventh birthday. And I thought, there's no bloody way he's not getting a birthday card off me. I mean, the kid's like, if you give him a birthday card, you, you're going to prison. I said, well, then so be it. But he'll remember that card. He's getting a bloody birthday card, and he'll remember it. And then when he's old enough, He'll understand what I had to go through to get him that card, and that's when he'll appreciate it. It's a, it's a long, I was going to say it's a long game. It's not a game. It's a long life. If you care about your kids, you've just got to put that effort in and make sure that even if they don't see it at the time when you're putting it in, that's not what's important. I agree. Eventually, they'll see it. And that's 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 what worked for me. That's, 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 the, that's the way I've dealt with it. No, I agree. I did a, a full year where I'd go every Thursday, every Wednesday, my daddy dinner nights, my daddy weekends, stand outside mm -hmm. the school and say, hey, I'm here to pick you up. And they would ignore me and yeah. walk past. And yeah, I'd say, I, I, I love you. I'll be here next week. And Yeah, exactly. They eventually came home. Yeah, yeah. And it's easy for a lot of people to sort of to give up and say it's hopeless. She's winning. He's winning. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to see both sides of the coin here, and I think I just think it's disgusting. I, I really do. I agree. Our kids are already in it, unfortunately, so they've already experienced the trauma, and we're trying to stop yep. it for the next generation. Yeah, my two eldest sons were her two eldest sons. She hasn't spoken to them in six years. No really? attempt. Well, the, the only attempt has been we were at a, an event that we, we didn't know she was going to be at, and she walked past my eldest son and she tried to say hi, and he just said, "Well, listen, piss off." The son was a bit younger, was 13 when it happened. I think he does have feelings of desertion a little bit. And he's thinking, well, what? It's my mother. Why she? Why she give up on me? What? What did I do wrong? I try and tell him, well, you haven't done anything wrong, but you know the truth, and your truth doesn't fit with her narrative, so she can't have you in her life. 
Brother, how'd life turn out after the first non-molestation ended? It ran out after a year, the last few years. And I thought, well, to me, I'm not going to make any difference because I don't want to get in touch with her. It's no change for me. And what I didn't realise is, so what, one of the allegations that she made against me was revenge porn, which is very serious. I mean, somebody's just got 10 years in prison in UK for being convicted of revenge porn. Very, very serious offence. I saw that article. So that was one of the allegations. I got a phone call from my mother. She was distressed. She was distraught. My ex-wife had sent her pictures of me, revenge porn photographs of me, naked in various actions to my mother, my 70, 75-year-old mother. Oh, that's what they want to see. Oh, and she God. started messaging her. This was a week after the normalization order ended. She got convicted of it. She was in the paper. She was in the Daily Mail. You can, you can Google her. There's a, photo, a very nice photograph of her. I just read yeah, that article. She, so she got convicted of revenge porn, which is a very serious crime. She got a £120 fine. And a suspended sentence. And yet the other person got 10 years. A man. And I was told for the revenge porn part of my allegation, it would have been between five and eight years if I'd have been found guilty. I wasn't found guilty. And ironically, what my barrister did prove, that my ex-wife put, and this is in my file as well, she put the photographs on a site on the internet, took a photograph of the screen, and then deleted them. Nobody's seen them. Right. Just for the benefits of trying to get me arrested for revenge porn. My barrister proved that. And she gets a slap on the wrist and a fine. You got a hundred and twenty pound fine and a slap on the wrist. Yeah, hundred and twenty pounds. That's a bar tab. Yeah, I mean, my, my mother was distraught. I mean, distraught. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it wasn't a cold day. No, no, it was really warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's my mom. Come on, that's my mom. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry. <laughs> oh man. Well, she got convicted though, which is she got convicted. Oh. Yeah, but the, the point is, it's just it's still online now. Anyone can go and have a look at it in the comments. Every single comment, even from a woman, is it's disgusting. Why? Why is it like that for a woman? Why is it harsher for a man? Another thing that shows the double standards as well. When I was on the first stint of remand, and she she came in the house and stole all the property. When we got home contacted the police and the police went to her property and recovered everything. She admitted that she took it. We begged the police to press charges and the police officer who tended and recovered the stolen property had said that somebody very high up in uh, Cleveland police has said, we will not prosecute that woman. Really? Oh yeah. That gave her this sort of feeling of invincibility. She could do what she wants. She was almost above the law, like she's some sort of mafia don. She could just go around doing anything she wanted, making any kind of allegations without any sort of substantiation or evidence. And it was all okay because the police were 100% behind her. I had a meeting actually with the police. I got an, an apology off the investigating detective. Came to my home and he was nearly in tears. And uh, he, he said he was so sorry. And I tried to get him prosecuted. And the police said that he was just overworked. He didn't have time to investigate. They had time to pick you up and put you in jail though. Oh, there's always time for that. Yeah. There's always time for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's no police on the streets, but there's always six of them and two vans to come and pull me out of bed in front of the neighbours at three o'clock in the morning. They always do it at night for you guys, man. They always come in the middle of the night. Yeah, they know you're going to be in. Know you're going to be in. Fair enough. Go back to the birthday card. I think that's an important aspect. I think fathers need to know. So, you got the birthday card to him. I got the birthday card to him, and I don't even know if he opened it. I don't even know if he got it. But it went through the letterbox. I didn't actually do it. My other son helped me out. I parked about 20 metres away from my house, but I knew the cameras all around the estate. So I knew heading anywhere near a house, I was going to get arrested. It, right. was, it was a risk I was willing to take. But I thought if I'm at the house, then I might end up in some serious jail time. Mm -hmm. So my, my son went, he put it through the letterbox. I don't even know if my youngest son's seen it at the time. 
I found out since then that he did a few oh, days good. later. But the important thing is, well, it's my son told him about that. It's it's sort of become part of family law. It's something they talk about. It's a big event. To me at the time, it was, I mean, it was big for me. It was, there's no, no way he's going to go to his birthday and not get his card. And I, I thought maybe 20, 23 hours in a cell, which is what I did. The, the important thing is it, it's a piece of card with a happy birthday, son, I miss you on. But to him, he, he knows the lengths that I went through and he knows that I didn't give up. When he was getting all the stories of, oh, your, your dad's this, your dad's that, your, your dad doesn't care. The facts are that he knows that I did because there's something physically happened and it's been told about by his brothers told him the story, I've told him the story. So he, he knows about it and my daughter knows about it. I just think that's one of the most important things is a lot of guys sort of give up. They can give up. And I've got friends who've give up. And I think, what's the point? I've got social workers against me. I've got Kafkas against me. They don't believe me. No one believes me. But it's not about them. They didn't believe me at the time. Nobody believed me. I had recommendations from social workers that I, I should never see the, the children on my own ever again for the allegations of sexual abuse against them. Yeah. Obviously, all ridiculous. I mean, absolutely disgusting. I just knew I had to focus on the kids because that's all I could focus on. That's all I could control. A lot of the time you, you worry about things that you can't control in them situations. You can't control what Kafka are going to say to them about you. You can't control what they're going to put in their report. You can't control what the social worker is going to stand up in, in court and lie. You can't control that. And you can't say anything about it in court, because you, especially if you're a litigant in person, because you get shouted down by the judge and it makes you look even worse. Right. None of that's important, because eventually the kids see the truth. It doesn't take too long for them to get a bit older. When the kids are young, yeah, the courts have a lot more say over them and it is a lot difficult, a lot more difficult. But as they get older, as I said, it took me like six years. As they get older, they start to question things. There isn't things like a birthday card, Christmas cards. And if, if there isn't all that trail and if you, if you can't show all that, then where do they go with that as kids? Do they think, oh, well, my dad did give up on me. It's true what my mum said. Yeah, he was too busy back then. Maybe he's not busy now. Yeah, exactly. I'm a big fan of the shoebox that even if you pass and you leave it there for your kids because you never saw them. I don't know if you were on the yeah. uh, chat today, but there's guys asking, you know, what's the longest people have gone without seeing their kids? I felt well, bad for that, that question because some people awful, go a lifetime. It? Yeah. It's awful for us, but it's awful for the kids. As I said, my middle son, I mean, he, he can't stand his mother, but he still has that feeling of why, why did she desert me? Why? It's my mom. Why, why would she desert me so badly? He done nothing wrong. I mean, imagine you, your mother deserts you just just like that. Falls out with your father, and then you don't hear from her for years, and she makes up the most disgusting lies about you. Um, and I'll just add, he had a job as a delivery guy delivering pizzas very recently. Um, we didn't know where his mother lived at that point, and he just by chance he turned up to deliver a pizza there. No way. He came face to face with her after years, not seeing her, no contact, no attempt at contact, nothing. And he gave her a piece of his mind. And he called her a lot of names that he maybe shouldn't have called, but I think he should have called her. But anyway, you, you have to say that. And he, he gave her a piece of his mind. About eight hours later, he got arrested. There was four police at our door. She'd made false allegations against him, saying that he, he said that he was going to kill her. That's her own son. That's insane. That's what we're dealing with. And he's your oldest? No, no, he's my middle son, my eldest yeah. son. At the time, when we were going through family court, my eldest son went on holiday to Malia with his friends, and she tried, she actually bragged about this as well, she tried to get him arrested when he came back from Malia and drug tested to try and prove that this house was a, a hotbed of drugs and drug use to use against me in the family court. Man, how have these false allegations affected your social circle? 
obviously you've got groups of friends when you're married for so long, 17 years together, 20 years, you have the same group of friends. Yeah. And like these allegations, that's like that's like rolling a rolling a grenade, you know, that group of friends. And you never know who it's gonna hit. There's friends who you think, well, they know me. They know what kind of person I am. They're going to know this is all rubbish. And they don't, for whatever reason. They end up believing your ex. Everybody arguing left, right and centre and people believe in me and people believe in her. And it, it was awful. It was Husband, awful. Because you were friends with one more than the other. She was friends with one more than the other. Absolutely. It was just awful. Yeah. One thing I did do, though, I said to everybody at the very beginning, anybody who listens to her, anybody who believes her, you're no friend of mine. Because if you believe... The allegations of violence, in particular rape, and anybody who believes that of me, then you, you don't know me. I don't want you as a friend. I cut a lot of people out of my life. I got lucky with that. Well, they all saw me doing a lot to appease her for a long time. So I think that mm -hmm. might have been one of my saving graces where people didn't believe I was, well, my friends have known me forever too. They know I'm not an animal. I'm, I'm an animal, yeah. just not that kind of animal. Quite quickly after the allegations and things, her, her friends started to disbelieve her because she was saying things like, if I can't have him, no one will have him. I'm going to get him in prison. She didn't want the split up. It was against her wishes. You mentioned that you had lost your job. I had had similar issues. How did this affect it? Initially, up until the first arrest and the, the first stint on remand, my employer was good, quite understanding. But when I got back to work, you're in an environment where for co-workers... I'm suddenly, a, I'm just juicy gossip. I'm somebody, you walk down a corridor and people are backing away. It was an awful environment. I've just I've just explained how bad it was for friends, people who've known 20 years, mm -hmm. some of them believe in it. And I didn't lose my job, I, I quit. Basically went into the, the managing director and I said, listen, if you, if you don't believe me, I'm going to go. I don't want to work somewhere where, where people think that that's the kind of person that I am. I, I don't want to be sort of talked about and... Just... We're going to keep you here because we kind of need you. I was quite high up in a, a well-known company. I was a, a contract director. It took me 18 years to work my way up to that point. I didn't want to lose my job. I loved my job. It just got to the point where I just couldn't, I couldn't stay and work with these people who were saying these things about me. It definitely makes it hard to work. I am lucky enough to work in construction. Yeah, so. well, that's what I do as well. It's called, oh, okay. it's called, yeah, I'm a, a carpenter by trade. Nice. I'm the safety guy. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. That's the usual look. <laughs> yeah. And in constructs and the kind of men who work on building sites are not shy of saying what they think. Right. Which is another factor. And also, I had too much going on in my head at the time. I had all these things to fight. I had a file of accusations against me that I had to, I had to go and disprove every single one. In the end, I don't think I really did because they were, they were ridiculous and without any evidence anyway. And lots of them just got dropped by the, the Crown Prosecution Service, which in England is the uh, the body that decide whether or not there's enough evidence to prosecute somebody, whether it's in the, the public's best interests. But to me, to me, I had to disprove every single thing to the point where it was overwhelmingly obvious that I had done that thing. I've got two big files like this that, I mean, I, I did it with the intention of showing my kids to be honest. Yeah, same. Because when you go through all this process, you can get so tied up in with making the judge believe you. I mean, that's an important one, making the judge believe you, <laughs> but making social workers believe you, making Kafkas believe you, making barristers believe you. I mean, I sat in a, in a lawyer's office who was acting for me and said, do you believe me? And she said, well, it doesn't matter whether I believe you. I said, it bloody does. I said, you're not, I don't want you representing me if you don't believe me, because that makes you as bad as her solicitors. And I don't want that. If you don't believe me, tell me and I'll find another lawyer. Again, it comes to this sense of justice. What I was saying is my intention was to show my kids when they're older and say, look, this proves everything. 
but they'll never see them because they don't need to see them. That's how caught up you get at the time. It's just that overwhelming need to prove, yeah. to prove that you haven't done this thing. That's the awful thing about the false allegation. It's 50-50. At the point of making the allegation, it's 50-50. It's your word against theirs. Now, if they bring forward evidence to back that up, then that 50-50 might change. But in my instance, they could never change from the initial 50-50 in her favour. So what I had to do, I had to come up with overwhelming evidence to disprove every bloody thing. And that's, that's what I did. Jago, some of your kids are still minors, man. How have these false allegations changed your day-to-day life? I just want it all to go away. If somebody accused me of robbing a bank, they'd have to prove it. I'd be innocent until proven guilty. If your ex-wife says that you beat her up and tried to kill her, you're guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. It just doesn't seem right. No. I feel like I have to protect myself, so I have cameras everywhere now. I have dash cam. I have, I actually have, my car has cameras all around it. I have like ring doorbells. I've got cameras inside my home. I protect myself. I feel like I've let go of it. I just want it all to go away. But I know that it won't for her. Then this is the thing. She's made all the allegations, and I'm the one who feels like I have to protect myself. Yes, I know exactly how you feel. But I'm not protecting myself from her turning up with a knife. I'm protecting myself from false allegations. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. For whatever reason, she went all down the false allegations route and obtained a further non-molestation order with a photograph of my car outside her property when she'd invited me there to talk about the kids. It was funny because my girlfriend was actually in the car as well. So she really? knew as well. Yeah, but they didn't listen to her. They wouldn't take her statement into account at all. It's amazing how that works. How- they don't take any, any of the evidence into account that might defend the man. Almost like a lot of spouses get led down this path by an outside agency or somebody yeah. who needs to fill a docket. I'm a believer of that. If your job is domestic violence, well, you need domestic violence for business to be booming. Yeah. Also, a women's refuge charity Mm. that receives government funding to help abused women. Okay. Yeah, there's a firm of solicitors who work exclusively for as well, but... When there's money to be made. I won't say anything more about that at the minute. (laughs) We'll both end up in the clink tonight. We're getting towards the end of the hour. What advice would you give to someone who's starting out in this journey? If there's kids involved, focus on the kids. Because that's all that's going to matter in two years' time, three years' time, four years' time. If there's criminal allegations, focus on that first. Keep yourself out of prison. Yeah. If sometimes, one, one of the big things for me is, if you start doing well, you start going to the gym, you take care of yourself, you might want your ex to see that. So you might be very tempted to do something. It's not breaking the non-molestation order. It's not going against any injunction. You just want them to know that you're doing all right. Don't, mm-hmm. don't do it. Forget about them. Yeah. They forgot about you the moment they made that allegation. They don't love you. They don't want you back. They don't want a reconciliation. If they do, it's because the, the circumstances have changed and they think you might be able to help them out temporarily or something. They, they don't want you back. You've got just forget about them. You might feel like you want to wind them up. Just don't. Keep yourself out of prison. Because if you're in prison, you can't focus on your kids. And then number two, focus on the kids. Make sure that they know, even if they don't know at the time, but they'll know in the future that you've done everything to keep that relationship. You've done everything you could in spite of what your ex-partner was doing. That's great advice. That really is. In general, what could a person do to catch the red flags, see the warning signs in hindsight? Oh, God, in hindsight, the red flags were everywhere. I know. <laughs> but you don't see them. It's I mean, it's like if you go and buy a car that you love, you've always wanted a Ford Mustang, you turn up and you're not going to look at the ball tire or you're not going to check the brake. It's a Ford Mustang, isn't it? It's, it's what you've always wanted. It's, well you want to get in it and drive it around. 
You only see red flags when you come through the other side of something and then you can advise other people, but they're not going to see them anyway because they're going to fall in love. They're going to look at the, the boobs and the bum. And the, do, do you know what I mean? They, they're not yeah. going to look at the red flags. You don't you don't see the red flags. Was the red flag? Oh, an abundance of them. Family issues. I mean, the birth of our youngest son, because her parents didn't come to hospital on the day he was born, she didn't speak to him for four years. Yeesh. Four years. Her own parents, four years. And I'm the one who forced that reconciliation. That's just one thing. But yeah, at, at the time, I don't think you see red flags. So, yeah, no, I didn't notice any red flags at the time. As I said, looking back, it, it was a world of red flags. I want that beer. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Brother, it was it was great speaking with you and meeting you. Really okay, appreciate you. you coming on the show. Yeah, you too. It's been great talking to you. Really you too, great. man. Keep in touch. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot on the False Allegations Network. We will, yeah. I'll okay. talk to you soon, brother. Be Bye. good. Cheers. Cheers. If you take one thing away from this episode... It's that DV affects the extended family and your extended friends. Another thing you can take, if this isn't a lesson, it's at least a common theme. Our brother went back to his spouse after she cheated. Now, every story is different, and everybody has their reasons for whatever they do. Always remember, some decisions have consequences beyond the possibility of just hurting your spouse, just like false allegations. So think twice any of you artifice accusations of domestic violence, AADV, or false allegation perpetrators. Because while you're trying to destroy your ex-spouse, you know what? You're also hurting your sister-in-law who was really cool to you. Oh yeah, and that brother-in-law who was always there when you needed him? Guess who else you're hurting? That in-law that treated you like their own child. As far as how domestic violence claims are investigated, please note that politicians and other public officials are officially put on notice. Either you're going to change these bias laws, or you're going to lose your job and or your pension. 120 pounds versus a possibility of five years in prison for the same crime. If that doesn't paint a picture of a prejudicial system, then just tune in next week. And we want to give another happy birthday to Millsbaum. Millsbaum, just know your father's hugs are in the air, and may you feel them in your soul from now until the time you're in each other's arms again. This goes out to all alienated parents, and David especially today, hang in there. We must get our voices out there. Send us your stories to Why Daddy Never Cries at Gmail or Why Daddy Never Cries on Facebook. Remember, this is a daily and sometimes hourly struggle. So follow us on Daddy Never Cries at Twitter and Why Daddy Never Cries on Instagram. And let your voice be heard. Let's end the fatherless children's syndrome that's plaguing this world. You can't change what happened to you, brothers. So figure out how to make it work for you and your children. When life gave me lemons, I said the hell with a glass. I'm making an international lemonade franchise. So until next time, take a deep breath. You've got this, Daddy. Oh, yeah, and a fact check. It's called the Falsely Accused Network. My apologies, brothers.